right. Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> yes, it is I. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, right? You're looking at the clock, thinking, okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna really really try to watch the time today. So um, I was talking to my uncle Charlie yesterday. He's going through a uh, tough time, and I tried to be encouraging to him. He's, so he's, you know, he, hadn't, he didn't have much time left on this, in this life, uh, doctors have said, but they said that two years ago, and here he is. So, uh, and I said, I tried to tell him the story of Lazarus, he didn't really like that. <laughs> I was like, you missed it, I, I missed it, I, somewhere I missed the communication, so hopefully I won't miss it today, I, I don't want to uh, miss the mark today, but today's story is pretty good, today's story is pretty good, I don't know. If I mess this up, you guys need to do something to me. All right, let's look at Daniel 6. And uh, it'll be fun today. We're going to read about the lion's den. And so we're going to be in Daniel 6. And we'll see what, what God does in this story. It's a narrative story. And this finishes the historical part of Daniel. Um, so uh, the next few chapters of Daniel will be prophetic. And we'll, uh, I think it'll be exciting if, if Anytime you study Daniel, it's exciting, but this is the last historical chapter. It's a narrative, and I think God will have some exciting things, at least for me, it's been pretty exciting, so hopefully it'll be for you. Let's read the chapter, let's read the story, and then we'll study and see what the truths are here for us. All right, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Please Darius, or Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, or presidents, it's the only place in the Bible that word president is used, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all, above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, and then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground up for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Golly, can, can you imagine? That's the only problem you guys you know, could find is that you have a, your devotion to God is your, is your biggest fault. Hopefully that can be said of me one day. It says, then in verse 8, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now a king established the injunctions and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, the king Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by, an agree came by agreement 
and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, King, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction ordinance the king establishes can be changed. The king commanded, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. It's interesting, the king broke his own law right there. <laughs> 17. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Sounds like another stone rolled over another entrance to another pit, right? Okay, so the stone, the, seal, the thing was sealed. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, Daniel was he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, that's about as anguished as I can get. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the den of lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. <laughs> you always got to say that, right? O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceeding glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den, so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all my royal dominion people are to remain, are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That's it, y'all. Let's go. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. So, hey, incidentally, just a, just a note of translation on verse 28. Some people read that uh, Darius, even or Darius, even Cyrus, the king of Persia. So, even Cyrus, Persia. So, because there's no record of, Dar of Darius of this Darius guy that we can find. So, some people think that Darius is just a title given to Cyrus of Persia. So. That's just a note of translation. I don't know if you have that in your footnotes. And I don't know if I'll get to verse 28. So I had to tell you now <laughs> at the beginning. Um, all right, y'all. 
So uh, we are just finished with uh, chapter 5, and uh, Stanley preached last week on chapter 5, and you guys remember what that was like. Um, big, huge event, right? Babylon has fallen, not a shot was fired. Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar, was taken, and Cyrus the Persia came in and conquered. And so the first big point for today is, let's see if I got it, is that, the, that God's plan will prevail. Nations come and go, but God's plan will always endure. And that's an encouraging word, I think, right? Because we, uh, we have a lot of political turmoil in our world, and I think it's encouraging for us to know that the nations, whatever happens in politics and in the nations abroad, God's plan will always prevail. So um, there's a verse in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 15, he says, Behold, the nations are like a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. So can you imagine? That's, that's on the balance, right? The scales. And if the nations are like dust on the balance, they have no impact on the weight of the scales. When God weighs things out, the nations have no influence on his judgment. His plan will prevail. We can trust in God, right? So that's, that's important. I think uh, if you look back over the world, the history of the world, we're not going to go into that too deeply. <laughs> Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Medes, Greeks, Romans, Mayans, Incas, Aztecs. Very little remains of their impact on the world, right? Just some of the basic philosophies, a few relics. Even England, and the most, England, France, Germany, Russia, and even America. You know, the nations come and go. We can look back over the history of time and see how many nations have risen and fallen, but God's plan has endured. God's plan is always going to be um, endured. So here we are in, uh, in chapter 6, and Babylon has fallen, and Persians are coming in, and this is the, I don't know if you remember, a couple weeks ago we did the dream with the statue, and Babylon was the golden head, right? And then right below that is the next nation, the next kingdom, it's the silver and that's the Medo-Persian Empire. So there we are. We're in the second part of the vision in Daniel. So how do you know if a prophet is true? Is this prophecies come true? So here we are. This is second kingdom that Daniel told everybody about. It's happening. We're in it. And uh, that's what's going on with, with this part. Let's see here. I'll make sure I don't miss anything before we progress. All right. God's plan and his people transcend the rising and falling of the nations. Oh, I have a picture. There's no picture. I had a picture. So uh, I wanted to tell you that uh, one of the relics that they have on display in a museum in Europe is a brick. And it's a brick of Nebuchadnezzar's image. And uh, he, apparently they found thousands of these bricks all over the place. So it wasn't just like a single unique deal. But this particular brick has Nebuchadnezzar's image on it, it has his name on it, and has a dog's footprint right over the top. And I think that's a very appropriate relic of a nation, of a great nation, right? Is even a dog can just has no, no care at all for Nebuchadnezzar and his image. They just walk right over it. So um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about, and, and you can trust God no matter what. Okay, second point. Here we go. Daniel, uh, if you look in verses 1 through 3 of Daniel chapter 6, 
I think you see here, this is, man, I, I'm nearly, this is just about nearly the whole sermon right here, guys. So there's 120 satraps, but Daniel is like set above them, and he's over all of them. And he found, why is he over all of them? It's because uh, the Bible tells us that an excellent spirit was in him. What is that? What is an excellent spirit? So I, I did a lot of study on this. It's not much there. <laughs> so now there's, there's really a lot there. Uh, but he was preferred. He had an excellent spirit. Uh, guys, I want you to know, man, this is, this is a 90-year-old guy. He's, he went to Babylon when he was 15 or 16, and now it's 70 years later. He's like 90, as best estimates, and he's still working. He is still in, like he's prime minister of a government. He is one of the rulers. He's doing a great job. He's recognizable, easily recognizable. He has an excellent spirit in him. So I just think it's encouraging. It reminds me of a conversation the other day. I heard... Uh, this guy, he was talking, and he said, you know, I think I'm going to pay somebody to start mowing my yard. And we were like, yeah, man, you're 90-something years old. Yes, you can pay somebody. What's the problem? He said, uh, well, my son can do it. He's only 70. <laughs> so, you know, there's really no retirement. There's no excuse, right? We don't have much, especially when we look at Daniel. So Christians... You know, there's really we continue to serve God even in our old age. So what is an excellent spirit? I thought this was an interesting term. There's a scripture verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 where, Daniel, where David describes his mighty men of valor. And these mighty men of valor come to David and they're trained for war. Chapter 12, verse 8. And the, the Bible describes these mighty men of valor having faces of a lion. They had faces of lions. And it's interesting that Daniel's thrown into a den of lions. So the face of a lion, what, these men are prepared for war. They are determined. They are set. Nothing can, it makes me think of Ephesians, right? When God's telling the, the, the Christians through, through Paul and Ephesians, when the flaming arrows and the enemy comes at you, what are you supposed to do? Stand. Stand firm. Be fierce. You know, lions don't retreat. Lions don't retreat. They stand, and they charge. They go at you. So this is an interesting description of an excellent spirit. It's not, you know, and to be honest, the Bible tells us in chapter 1, way back when we did chapter 1, that God blessed Daniel with, he says in verse 17, he gave Daniel and his friends, these young princes, knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. So, and he said, uh, verse 20 in chapter 1 says, they were 10 times better than any of the other leaders in the, in the government. 10 times better. And he had the face of a lion. That's an excellent spirit. I think um, there's a challenge for all of us to live up to Daniel's example, to have an excellent spirit. Uh, there's, there are characteristics there that are evident in Daniel's life. We know he was uncompromising. There's an interesting story behind that word, uncompromising. I don't know if you're aware of the term bigot. Have you, have you guys heard that term? It's, pretty, it's a pretty negative term, but it has an interesting history. Now, I'm not saying go out and call each other bigots, so don't, don't misunderstand me. But the word derives from a story about um, Rollo, this Viking invader back in the 900s, you know, long time ago, 
So Rollo is conquering, and King Charles in Britain gives Rollo, or in France, gives Rollo Normandy as a uh, kind of a concession. He says, stop killing people, here's Normandy, be happy. And so Rollo says, okay, I'll take Normandy. But he says, uh, the king says, okay, as a, as a gift, as a way of compliance and showing me that you're going to do what we've asked, you should convert to Christianity and do all the things that are involved in that. Rollo says, okay, I'll convert. I'll be a Christian. And he swears an oath, but at the last part of the oath is to kiss the king's feet and, make, and, and declare him the head of the church. The king has to be declared the sovereign ruler of all. And Rollo says, by God, he's German, right? he's doing the Celtic thing, by God, be, you know, by God, no, it will never be. I will never kiss his feet. He is not the sovereign. By God, you know, he stands there. That's what it means to be uncompromising. That's what it means to be a bigot. By God, no. You've got to stand firm, right? You're uncompromising. That's what it means. Daniel was that way. Don't go around saying Daniel was a bigot. That's negative today. We can't say that word. But that's what it means. Uncompromising. Standing firm. A face of a lion. That's Daniel. Got it? Got it. That's what it means to have an excellent spirit. And I've been challenged... Uh, I've been challenged by that because Daniel was full of this knowledge and wisdom. And man, I tell you guys, there's a lot to learn when you're in education. And this week I've been, uh, you know, this week the students came back, all 2,400 of them. And oh, Man, it's, it's really good, y'all. It's good with, with students in the building. But the job that we have to do is so big and massive, and they keep just telling us to do stuff. And there's a lot of, you have to learn a lot. You have to learn a lot, a lot about policies and laws and attendance and teaching and lessons and graduation. And, oh, man, it's just a lot. But, but, you know, if Daniel can do it, if Daniel can be the prime minister of a government at 90 years old, have an excellent spirit full of knowledge and wisdom, that's me. I, I can do that. I can challenge myself to learn what I need to learn to do a good job, to be excellent. Right? So there's the challenge for you. Be excellent. Okay, so we know that the nations come and go, we know that God's plan will prevail, and we know that, you know, trusting in God, having an excellent spirit, is what godly men do. Now, there is, um, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about, I have another, I had another picture here, Michelangelo's famous painting, but you don't see it, so it's all right, Michelangelo's famous painting, you got the, uh, the Sistine Chapel, right, the Sistine ceiling, the ceiling, he paints a picture called The Last or The Final Judgment. It's probably the greatest painting he ever did. He painted it on his back, you know. Can you imagine climbing the scaffold? How old was he when he did this? 89 years old when he did this. So we have to, you know, we can't, there's no retirement for Christians. You got to keep working. Sorry, Shannon. <laughs> Sorry about that. You got to keep going, man. So you got to keep going. It's a, be an excellent spirit. All right, let's see here. That's point number three coming up. It says prayer. God's people are a praying people. God's people are a praying people. So uh, Daniel's got the excellent spirit. Everybody's kind of gathering around him. They're plotting against him, trying to get him to do something bad. And they can't find anything bad, but Daniel goes and prays. Now, this is a great verse. Spurgeon, when I listened to Spurgeon's teaching on Daniel 6, this is the only thing he preached on, so it was a big verse. Verse 10, it's worth looking at again. 
So let's look at verse 10. He says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, it says, where he had windows in his upper chamber to open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So what do you do in the midst of a, of a trial and a tribulation and a, and a government change? You do what you've always done. You pray. You pray. Now, I don't know, guys. Being a prime minister, if it's anything like being an assistant principal, it is, you are like super busy. So, but Daniel takes time to pray. He takes time three times a day to pray, to go and give thanks to God and pray, as has been his practice throughout his life it wasn't anything no wonder the the satraps found him there they knew where he'd be three times a day so he has go he goes and he prays god's people pray now i found it interesting about um why does he have a window open toward jerusalem i don't know i didn't look at the cross reference i just did google you know why is daniel looking at jerusalem when he prays google uh, even though it's you know not necessarily a christian search engine it did give me some good results so uh, so Daniel, uh, Daniel has his open praying toward Jerusalem, they say, because he remembered Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30. Solomon prays and he dedicates the temple. And he tells, God, he tells all of the Jerusalem Israelites, and he tells them, he says, when you're in a foreign country, look toward the temple where the presence of God is and pray. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for the people of God. He says, look toward Jerusalem where you're out of the country, look toward Jerusalem and pray, look to the temple. And so, I don't know if that's exactly why, Daniel, but that's as close as I could get, you know, Google, right? So, that sounded pretty good. He's, he's looking toward Jerusalem, and he's praying, and he's giving God thanks, and he's petitioning God. So, here is an interesting, um, here is an interesting uh, story. Have y'all seen the images or the little statues I first saw this when I was a kid growing up. My grandmother had a little plaster statue of the praying hands. Y'all have seen those, right? Right. So, and I always thought, that is weird. Why do you have praying hands? We all, we pray. Why do you need praying hands? That's a, so, but I found out the story behind it. So there were these two guys, these two brothers that lived a long time ago in like Finland or Sweden or something. So, they were over there, and uh, they wanted to be artists, these two brothers did. And uh, they, both of them, they were tremendously passionate about arts and painting and sculpting. And, but they had no formal training, and they were very poor. And so they made a deal. They said, okay, one brother says, look, I'll work while you go to Europe and study, and you become an artist. And I'll work, and I'll pay for all of that, and I'll take care of the family. And when you get finished, come back. And then I'll go and learn, and, and then you can support me while I'm there. And the guy says, yeah, let's do that. So he goes off and he learns. He spends years over there learning how to be a great artist and sculptor. Comes back, and he tells his brother, thank you, brother. What a great love. What a great sacrifice. I'm now, I now know what I need to know to be a great artist. Your turn. You get to go. Go to Europe and study. And his brother said, I can't. I can't go. He says, while you were away, I, had to be a, I was a carpenter. And while I was working on things, I, my hands got so damaged and so hurt that I, can, I can't hold a paintbrush, I can't sculpt clay, I can't do anything but hold a hammer. My hands are too damaged. 
And so his brother said, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what love really is. And let me do something for you. And he, he immortalized his brother's hands in a statue, an image of prayer and sacrifice and petition. That's what love really is. That's what it means to pray, to give your heart to somebody, to petition God on somebody's behalf, to serve one another, praying for one another. And that's what Daniel's doing for his people. And we know that, you know, like answered prayer, right? Because Darius, he's the one who set Jerusalem, he set the Israelites back. They've been in Babylon 70 years. In the very first year of Darius' reign, he sends them back. So, answer to prayer. Yeah? Pretty good. Okay. Godly people pray like Daniel did. So, next point. So, yes, he's 90 years old. Yes, he's a prime minister. He's a godly man. He's praying. So what comes out of that? Well, you know what comes out of that. Persecution. Persecution. We can expect to be persecuted. So after 70 years, you can see how the people in Daniel describe him. So like, they don't go up to the king and they say, oh, you know, your very esteemed leader who is very wise and awesome is not really doing what we're supposed to be doing. He, look at what they say to him in verse 13. They, say, they tell the king, Daniel who's one of those exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Daniel, he's one of those exiles from Judah. After 70 years in the government, he's the president. He's one of those guys. He's a foreigner in a foreign land doing foreign things. He's a bad dude. Punish him. So they have no respect. They persecute him. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a, in a job or in a position doing your job where people just don't like you and you don't really know why i, I just I, i'm doing a good job i'm i've been promoted i'm yes i'm successful but like it seems like everybody here is out to get me why and that's that's part of what we have as christians we're, we're light in a dark world we're light in a dark world the light and darkness does i mean people don't like the light because they love darkness right they turn from the light to the dark because they love their sins. I think if you are experiencing persecution, you could probably be encouraged that you're somewhat like Daniel. That people are a little jealous, a little envious, trying to get you because something, there's something about you they just don't like. They just don't like. So what do you do when you're persecuted? What do you do? Well, what can you do? You trust God. So I, back to that conversation I had with my Uncle Charlie. I tried to tell him about Lazarus. I miscommunicated big time. But whenever he, I found out that he said, he says to me, he says, you're really into this, aren't you? I said, what? what you, you're really into, like, the Bible and church and religion. I was like, yeah, I really am. <laughs> I said, yeah, oh, my gosh, y'all. I was like, why, why wouldn't you be? Where else what else can you do? There's, nobody else has an answer. You can't, nobody else has an answer. You can't go to boot, the Buddhist temple and get an answer. They tell you enlightenment, you know, pray, aestheticism, not, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. No, you can't do that. There's no answer there. There's no answer in, in Islam. There's no answer in, in any other religion. There's no answer in humanism or atheism. There's no answer. Even Jesus, when he asked the disciples, what do you say about all this? Are you going to leave too? And they just said, where will we go? You have the words of life. 
There is no other answer. Jesus, Christianity, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, is the only logical, consistent truth in the world. Where else will we go? And that's what Daniel does. He trusts God. He doesn't try to save himself. He doesn't run around in panic. He doesn't try to get, off, get on his horse and leave town. He stays. He continues to do what he's doing. If, if God wants to take me out, he'll take me out. If he wants me to, to continue this job, he'll make sure that it happens. He trusts God. Daniel doesn't run around. He doesn't worry. He trusts God. It makes me think of that song, Trust and Obey, right? Trust and Obey. It says, the first verse is this. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, when a glory he sheds on our way, while we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Then you say, trust and obey. Okay, you're right. It's really good. Sorry, Matt. I hope I didn't mess you up there. All right. So trust and obey, right? That's what we have to do, and Daniel does that. So here we go with Daniel. The penalty for disobedience is death. Den of lions. Why a den of lions? Why didn't he just go out and behead the guy? I don't know. So I did find out in researching. I, I thought about this for a long time. Why not a den of tigers or a den of wolves or a den of bears, a den of lions? Well, Persian was, uh, the Persians, the symbol was a lion, and Daniel had the face of a lion, and there were a lot of lions back then. I found out that back in 1940, this is trivia, Google, 400, there were, in 1940, there were over 450,000 lions in the Middle East. Can you, 450,000, that's what the estimated number of lions popped and there were more before that, obviously. So it was really pretty easy to get lions gathered up. And they usually traveled in prides, these lion prides. You know, remember Simba and Ufasa, the pride. And they, well, 40 of them, 40 lions in a pride. That was the average size. And so he got, you got all these lions in a pride, and it's easy to trap them in a den. And that's what they did. They had a den of lions. And they starved them. They starved them so that they would be really, really hungry whenever they wanted to throw people in. And I, it's kind of a disgusting, sad state of how people, you know, sentence someone to death, but that's, that's what they did. That's the truth. And there's historical evidence for it. So anyway, that's what happened. So Dan, they get the den of lions, and that's the, that's the, uh, that's the punishment. You've got to go to the den of lions. And a lot of people think that, um, that, okay, there were only a couple. That he hid in the corner... Uh, or they weren't hungry, they were like Clarence the lion, you know, toothless, and they were just sort of gentle. That, no, these lions were very, very voracious. They were not nice lions. Because we know this because, like, all of the guys who plotted against him and their families and their wives and their kids, they all got thrown in at the end, and the Bible tells us that they were devoured before they hit the floor. So they were not nice lions, and they were hungry. So it's kind of a miracle. That's what we're talking about here, a miracle. He gets thrown into the den of lions. And look at verse 16, y'all. What does King Darius do? This is a great verse. This is a great verse. Then the king, when he heard these words, he was distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. So he, he himself is delivering, going about, trying to rescue Daniel. And then he tells Daniel, he says in verse 16, or verse 18, uh, no, it's 16, he says, when Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, and then he declares to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. 
Even the king cries out to God. Don't you wonder, like, um, when these people that claim they don't, they don't love God or know God or they're some other religion, when they're, when they're on their deathbed or in the moment of crisis and heat, don't you, I really think they're searching for God in a very passionate way, looking for some hope in that moment. And I think this is the king realizing that Daniel's God is God, not me. He's the only one who can save Daniel now. And he cries out to, to Daniel's God. So all men seek God. I think all men seek God. Some too late. So that's one of the points here, guys. It, don't wait till it's too late. Make sure you know God as Savior before that day comes. Make sure you know God as Savior. And you can by trusting in Jesus. Okay, next point is God's provision. So he's thrown into the lion's den and... The question is, the question is, let's see here. He's thrown into the lion's den. And he goes down there and they seal the stone. They seal it with the signet ring. And then the king goes away. He's fasting all night. At the break of day, he comes back and he runs with haste to the den of lions in verse 19. And in verse 20, he says this. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? That's the question, isn't it? Is your God able? Is your God able? Is he? Is your God able to deliver you? It may not be a den of lions. It might be from those knuckleheads that are trying to get you at work, or your friends, or your neighbors, or, or that disease, or that job loss, or that despair, or that temptation of gambling, and anger, or pornography, or that temptation to be unfaithful, that lying, that cheat on your taxes just a little bit, to not have a face of a lion, to compromise just a little bit. Daniel could have set aside that he said, this is for 30 days. Nobody, God won't care. It's just 30 days. I won't pray for 30 days. He could have closed his window. He could have closed the door. He could have skipped it. He said, I'll pray in my heart. They won't hear me. No. Is your God able? Is he, is he able? He is able. I mean, I, I tell you, I was talking to uh, Kristen earlier, and we were sharing stories. She, you know, she. I don't know, Chris, I don't mean to throw you under the bus here, but can't, five years out now, cancer survivor. Y'all, I just finished my last treatment in April. Is God able? Is God able? Is your God able to do things, do great things, to deliver you from the dental lines? Now, what happens if he doesn't? What do you do then? What do you do then? God is able. So there's a, uh, he is able And we have to trust him. We have to trust and obey. Even when he doesn't choose to deliver us. We don't know why. It goes back to my conversation with Uncle Charlie. I was trying not to discourage him. I was like, he said, Lazarus died. And I said, I know he died. That's not the point. So the point was that, you know, even Jesus' closest friends, he was his good friend. He went through a week or more of suffering and sickness in pain, and his family called out, Jesus, we need you. And they came down and they said, when Jesus came, they said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. 
But Jesus delayed on purpose, right? He knew that was going to happen. He knew the family was suffering. Why does he delay? And he tells them it was for God's glory that this happened. It was for God's glory. He knew what was going to happen. We don't understand what things, why God does what he does. Who can know the mind of Christ? It is our job to what? Trust and obey. To trust and obey. Because there's no... <laughs> trust and obey, right? That's the, that's the point. Even when he doesn't deliver, even when he doesn't rescue us and save us from the den of lions, we still have to trust and obey. God will be glorified. He will be glorified no matter what. So there is a little point here about angels. God sent, Daniel tells us that God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Y'all, I don't know about you, like that really encourages me. Like there are like angels all over. The Bible teaches us that God sends angels to shut the, the, the mouths of the lions all around us. And we, you know, that song, that old Amy Grant song, you guys probably don't know who Amy Grant is. <laughs> Angels watching over me, right? That's, that's very, very encouraging. God's children, he loves, he loves us and he takes care of us. And we don't know how many angels are down here watching over us. How many times he's closed the mouths of lions that are about to take us out. We don't know. Our job is to what? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. So, he tells us why. Why does God, why does, the last, one of the last points here, Daniel, in verse 23, he tells us, and the king was exceedingly glad, and Daniel was taken up out of the lion's den, and no harm was found on him. Y'all know that a lion is like 400 pounds? That's like the smallest lion. And they can jump 36 feet? That, that's like really high. So 36, so they could have like crushed him. They could have run over him. They could have done all kinds of things to him. But Daniel had no harm on him. God delivered him. The angel took care of that. God delivered him. No harm. So he comes up out of that and look at verse 23. And Daniel's taken up and he says no harm upon him because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. That's the point, isn't it? Trust and obey. When it comes, when the test comes, when the lines are there, are you going to trust God? It doesn't tell us Daniel was fighting and screaming and kicking and hollering, trying to get away from the lions. He went. He trusted in God. He trusted in God. Trust and obey. So uh, I think about, there's other examples when God didn't close, didn't save. You know, Peter believed, and he was crucified upside down. And Paul believed, and he was beheaded. Martin Luther believed, and he was killed. Even at the last, they said, recant or die, and he did not recant. We know he didn't, but God is glorified. God is glorified. So I know that, um, I know that whenever, <clears throat> I know whenever I had, you know, I was really down in the dumps, and, and the doctors tell you things are bad, this, things are really bad if the doctor's going to tell you that. So you get, I, t I told Shannon, I told Stanley, I told the elders here at the time, I was like, y'all, you got to pray for me. And back in uh, Mimosa Lane when we, Marcy and I were there, you got to pray for me because I don't have it. But that's what we do. Right? That's what we do. 
I know that in Mark chapter 2, there's a great scripture, a great testimony. And these friends are digging through the roof. And they lower this guy down to Jesus. And he says, you know, he heals the guy. And the guy gets up and he takes his mat up and he tells the guy, he says, your friend's faith has healed you. Your friend's faith has healed you. And he said, that's what we do as a church. We have faith for one another. We trust and obey. Even when you can't do it, you call me and I'll pray for you. Call Shannon, he'll pray for you. Call somebody, get together with a life group and let them pray for you. We trust and obey as a church. That's what we do, right? Right. There's a great last part of this. I didn't know this. I printed off the words of this hymn. The last part of this hymn, it sounds like a whole different song, but it's not. And he says, the last two verses say this. He says, and tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and just to know, just thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him, or and or, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. That's what we do, we trust and obey, right? Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Still, a lot of those things are still real fresh, and, you know, God is still good, and he's, he always is. And so that's the point today. We trust and obey, even in the midst of being thrown into the lions, even when we're 90 years old and we feel like we can't do it anymore, we trust and obey always. And if you can't do it, you get involved in a church like this one, and we will help you. We will pray for you, right? Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the example that Daniel has set. Thank you, God, for, um, thank you, God, for your love and your, your uh, strength. Father, thank you so much for um, watching over us. Thank you for the lesson that Daniel set for us, the uncompromising faith that he had, the face of a lion. And uh, Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to know his life and to... Um, use his example, to follow his example. Thank you for being faithful to us, even when we drop the ball sometimes, Lord. I know that in my life, you've been faithful so much. So God, we are, uh, we as a church just cry out to you. And we ask, Father, for the strength to, to be a Daniel, Father, to have faith like that, uncompromising faith, to have the face of a lion, and to trust you, to give us the strength and the courage to be obedient, Father, in all things. I pray, Lord, that um, you would continue to encourage the believers here at Redeemer. Father, you would continue to help us be a light wherever we go. And I pray, Father, for each family in this room and watching online, Lord, that you would just uh, bless, you would minister. Father, encourage. Father, help everyone, Father, to have that ability and that uh, supernatural ability to trust and obey. Even when things get dark and dim, even when we're tired and worn out, help us to do so. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.